You're listening to Cards and Cubes, a show about board games that you didn't grow up playing. Welcome to episode 16. On today's show, we will talk about some games played, followed by some games that we're looking forward to. Our topic today will be gaming meetups, and our top three will be two-player games. We are your hosts. I am Brandon. I'm Christo. I'm Justine. I'm Matt. So before we get it started, we should say that SaltCon is coming. You can find them at saltcon.com to get tickets. You can also find them at the Davis Convention Center when it's happening in Layton, Utah. You can find us there in Twilight 4 on Saturday, March 7th at 10 a.m. Yeah. Um, If you noticed, we eliminated spotlighting games because it's kind of hard for four people to play the same game multiple times in two weeks when we're all buying new games to add content to this show. So we didn't want to force it. It might happen sporadically, but naturally. However, maybe we'll do some segments of first impressions. And here's a surprise first impression to the audience and these guys, because I didn't tell them, I just thought of it right now. But we all played King's Dilemma. We played just the first scenario, except for Matt. Matt could act as the ignorant audience. Never played it. (laughs) Um, But I just want to quickly like kind of say our first, impressions of this game uh this game is a legacy style game it's betting and negotiations i'm not going to get too into the game mechanics of it but there's tracks and you have secret agendas and it's story driven so you read a card story and you make decisions you will vote and negotiate then flip the card and things will happen depending on how you vote you're uh you're in a council and you're representing like your clan for where your providence is and you're pushing your agenda uh, what's your guys' first impressions of this game? I think it's a really neat idea. Um, I'm excited to see where it goes after playing the first game, but I don't know if it's going to be playable over and over and over again. I'm worried that eventually it's going to get really old. Which is the other thing. We don't, it's kind of ambiguous of when it's going to end. Yeah. Now, from game to game, it's like six cards that come out, or one of the tracks get gets pushed to their max upper side or lower side but as far as the 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 campaign goes it could be anywhere from 15 to like 23 games because it's like it depends on the players and their decisions uh i really liked it actually i think it's a good game uh, i i was actually thinking uh why is it a legacy game it doesn't make any sense uh, i feel like they artificially made you like put stickers on the board just which just kind of feels bad it feels like there should be just like cards dealt on the board in the system to put them away um i feel like it's kind of to just like kill the resale value of that game to be honest uh very unfortunate but the game itself is actually kind of um nice i think it's very light uh like i expected which it needs to be light because it's supposed to be like one hour uh, i think you have to like the story aspect of it to enjoy it. There's not much game there, which, again, I expected. Um, I have, I think, good impressions so far. We'll see. I almost hated it. All right, moving on. No, <laughs> no I, uh, I could tell. Yeah, I mean, 
it's basically an RPG game. For this game to work well, I think everybody has to kind of role play. And our friend Robert and Justine here uh, were doing that, and that was very entertaining for me. And I was jumping into that every once in a while, but I was trying to figure out where the game was the whole time. Like, it's really repetitive. You pull a card, you read it, and then you vote, and you, uh, you negotiate, and then you see what happens. Now, I understand why people like this type of game, and I'm not bashing it for that. I'm bashing it for my, my own preferences, and it doesn't really uh, line up to my own preferences. It's really ugly, too. Like, I don't like the way it looks at all. It looks very plain. And I am going to play more of it, but I had to, the owner of it, I had to tell him no promises. I had to tell him I'll try this game, and I could only promise a next game, and we'll see what happens, because it's just kind of boring to me. But... Maybe that'll change. I can't see how the main core of the game will change, but maybe I'll get more involved in the story and then I'll start like coming in robes and stuff and like really <laughs> acting it out. Well, you <laughs> Probably don't have to get not that far into it, yeah. but it is pretty entertaining to sit there and role play your family. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more on that later when we played more of it, maybe spotlighted, but now some games that we've played. All right, while you guys were playing King's Dilemma, I played Nujfjord. Uh, I finally got to play this. Um, it's maybe five years old, but we were worried that Uwe Rosenberg during this period was just making the same game over and over again, so I wasn't like dying to play it. And uh, yeah, there's nothing new here. It's all right. The first time we played it, it kind of felt like Le Havre. Uh, you're just getting a ton of fish and a ton of wood and hiring a ton of crusty old man in the sea type people. Uh, and trying to convert resources into victory points. Just classic Rosenberg. You play for seven rounds. That's it. I thought it was okay. Then we played a second time, and I think I actually might be done with it. It started to feel less like La Havre and more like Glass Road, which is by far my least favorite Uwe Rosenberg. Um, how does it feel like Glass Road? It's actually kind of short, and once you've seen all the cards that can come up, all you're doing is hoping that uh, your amount of fish and wood can build buildings that have synergy with what you've already built. Um, there's these private cards that you don't reveal until halfway through the game. Uh, so I hope you were aiming towards big ships instead of little ships or vice versa because you drew that card. The game runs really tight. The score was like 32 to 30 to 28. And I won just because my cards worked for me. So I'm worried that it is way too easy, way too light. And also I have really thematic problems. They treat fish like money. Like you pay salaries in fish and you like pay upkeep in fish. And I'm just imagining like these old 95-year-old dudes just like pulling fish out of their wallets. <laughs> it's just kind of like putting me off. Um, I have some like weird trivia about this game because I looked it up. Uh, how it began is I wanted to see the pronunciation of uh, Newsfjords and... Uh, the first thing I hit was an interview with Uwe, and he didn't know actually how the how it was supposed <laughs> to be pronounced. So he was like at a convention, and he was looking for a Nor Norwegian, I think, so he could ask him how Newsfjord is pronounced. <laughs> pronounced like game. walking around the convention he, looking? No, <laughs> like he was just like talking to the interviewer, and he's like, oh, yeah, I was looking for a Norwegian earlier to ask him how to pronounce this thing that I designed. Say my game, um, say my someone game. Was actually, someone actually submitted the idea to him, I think, and the original idea was about banging 
banking and bankers. Um, the old men were actually bankers and like the fish, the whole thing was like investment firms and stuff. So he was like, there's no way I could design this game. And uh, immediately I thought of this theme that I do all the time. And like, he like turned it into like a fishing farming game, which is what he does, which was hilarious. Uh, random trivia two: that village is becoming super popular. Um, there's like literally like 200 people living there or something, Newsfjord. And they're starting to complain because like all kinds of tour buses come in there and it's like really disruptive to like their just like community because they have like a two lane road going in there and it's like really remote and like it's getting really famous. So people are like going because there. Because of the to, like, board game? Yeah, that's what it, I was going to ask. No, 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 no. Yeah. Just in general. Because oh, yeah. uh, if you look at on, on YouTube, there's like all kinds of like drone videos because it's like really beautiful environment, like the mountains and stuff. And people go there to either fish or just like lately make like drone videos of like mountain flybys and like waterfalls and stuff. So yeah, that's uh, news. I'm sure there's random. great seafood and stuff, but the game captures none of that. <laughs> I'm going. If there's and only I'm... 200 people, there's 300 buildings in the <laughs> game. One of them's like a youth hostel, which is like LOL. No one in this village um, is below the age of 55. And, like, there were actually people. some new, there's some younger people there. I looked at some videos from people visiting as well, which is kind of interesting. I'm going to so go visit. Like I'm going to take all my friends and family. <laughs> but yeah, originally it was submitted as a banker's game, which I think actually I would have liked better. So it's really mm. sad that he like ruined it. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah, it, it could be a banker's game now, but instead of money, it's fish. It's kind of yeah. like gross. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of weird. So that was News Fjord. Um, the game I played is a game that came out in 2018 called Everdale by James A. Wilson. Uh, the game's an engine building game and resource management and sort of card drafting. Now the game looks really cool set up like it has like um like it's like th has a 3D element too cool. Yeah, and uh <laughs> the resources like one of the resources are rubber, like the like the berries are made out of rubber, which I j I can't remember a game that had like rubber components in it. I thought that was really cool. I thought the the art was really neat too. It's kind of this like storybook theme to it. And what you're doing is you're just like it's it's part worker placement and part engine building. So you you could place out workers and get certain things like resources and you could pay for cards that are going to be in your hand and on the board as well. And you could pay for them with resources by going to worker placement spots um, or your, your cards are going to generate resources. Or you can buy cards that give you free other cards that like link up to them. And that's the way to go. But the, my problem with this game is that you're waiting for card flips that may or may not happen because you're you're really wanting those free cards. Because if I'm spending all my time going to worker placement spots to get resources to pay for these cards, I'm falling behind if you know the other players are finding those cards that they're getting for free. And to no fault of my own, I'm running way behind. And it doesn't feel that great. Um, and it's really just... And, and it tries to mitigate it with like you have like eight cards in your hand and there's a bunch of cards on the board and there's a way to draw up cards as well but i still found myself not finding these cards you know and that was kind of a bummer the aesthetic of the game is really nice i could understand why people would like this game because it's it it's really like fun looking and it has it had it 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 disguises itself as a fun game but to me it didn't feel fun me just like come on flip no okay i have to figure out how to buy this card yeah, there's nothing to it. There kind of aren't any other alternate routes to victory either. 
there's some other like milestones you can go for, but, but those are cards list. as well, yeah. though. Everything involves cards, so if so you help if, you draw your cards, right? Yeah. Uh, I looked at when this game was coming out first on Kickstarter. Uh, they it was a couple from like Idaho, actually. I think is what I want to say. Uh, husband and wife. Their inspiration was literally they said like Race for the Galaxy and Fifty First State, which are two of my favorite games. So I had really high expectations for this game. I can see how it's inspired by, but it's unfortunately a lot more clunky than those games. And yes, I think there's um, a lot of like there's not multi-use stuff enough for like things enough to flex with like uh, it's, it's trying to be a type of game where like you deal with the fate that's in your hand you know you exactly. can't you can't force a strategy you have to play your hand yeah uh, but there's just like not enough i think to make that fun for some reason in that game even though like brennan says it's very whimsical art very like cool awesome components in art actually um but yeah yeah, so unfortunately, it, it's I, I'm uh, I, I'm gonna pass on this game. I don't need to play it anymore. That's Everdale. Well, if you wanna hear about it, it gets even better. The Pro Brook expansion is all about like push your luck cards, so the effects are all like push your luck, yeah, which that, is kind of hilarious. Uh, this game probably doesn't like, need that. It, it needs more luck. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, the game I played this week, which I feel like we've like talked about it before, so maybe a lot but in the whole of the mountain king uh we've talked about it in the in terms of like looking forward to i think i don't know if anyone's talked about it yet after having played it uh now that i've played it like four times or five times i think um i saw the ratings on bg and the weight was like 3.67 or something and i was like thinking like there's no way this game is 3.67 i think it's like very inflated i think it's kind of a relatively simpler game um there's some really cheesy things you can do and i think the spells are kind of really swingy that come out the spells are so i don't know i'm not going to repeat what we've said in previous podcasts but it really in short it's got like a worker placement uh element and it's like card engine building so the worker placement element can actually make your card engine like really good for one round there's like a, I don't know, there's just effects that happen that are really powerful in the right circumstances. And I think it's those circumstances that like kind of swing the game uh, kind of highly. But I still have a lot of fun with it. I still think it's an awesome game. I just don't know if it's going to be like, it's like super deep. Like people are, I don't know. I was just surprised when I saw 3.67, but pretty fun. I'd play it anytime still, I think. Yeah, I think it's a great game. Um, I think the spells add a little bit of interest and it changes the way the game plays because sometimes you're just going to get stalled out with a bunch of really crappy spells that no one wants to use. And then you just play a straight game. I like all of the Mountain King. Wait, did you say the rating is three point? Uh, the weight. Oh, the weight. weight. Okay, that was <laughs> out of five. Really confusing to me. And so. uh, three point six seven is like I don't know, like feast for I don't know, not feast for I don't just like complicated. Like Lacerda games are like yeah. Well, four. the highest is five, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but nothing is hardly five. I think. No, yeah. I don't. The highest think. I've ever seen is like four point one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't even think uh, that campaign for North Africa hit five. Uh, <laughs> I. Is that the game that takes like months or something? Years? Years, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I was actually looking at those uh, side note two-player games, but anyway, yeah. Yeah. Um, so this week I managed to re 
Discover Pipeline. I know we've talked about this a lot on the show because we did a spotlight on it. Um, And the general consensus then was that it was a brain burner. And I'll say it's still a brain burner, but it's a fun one. It is a fun puzzle. You really get into it and you really feel like you're eking out like every last dollar as you sit there and stare at the board and try and figure out what the heck to do with your last $15 that's going to get you enough money to keep going for the rest of the game. You have 16 actions. 16? Yes. And you have to make the most of it. And I think one of the most evil things Ryan Courtney, the designer, did was make taking a loan an action in and of itself. You have to waste an entire turn to take a loan if you run out of money. It is a punishing, brutal game, but it is fun to sit there and think about. Yeah, it's actually 18, and every single turn is fun, and sometimes you find yourself thinking about the game way later, and then maybe like a week later, oh, I should have done this. No other game kind of does that to me. So Kalis 1303 is basically a second edition streamlined kind of redesigned in uh, in a lot of different ways version of regular Kalis. Kalis they came out in 2005. Um Kalis 1303 came out in 2019 from Space Cowboys and you're building the king's castle and developing the city around it. It's a worker placement game. The original was known as one of the um, grandfathers of worker placement games and I always was curious on on playing this because I, I do quite enjoy worker placement games and I like to see kind of how they evolved over the years and you know last year or early this year I got to play bus and see another one of the grandfather of, of uh, worker placement games so I was very interested in this one and the first play of this for me I was on the fence about I thought this provost that's moving on the board and anything behind him is going to trigger the worker placement spots. Anything in front of him is not. And every player has an opportunity to spend meeples to move the provost back or up and kind of mess with each other. And I thought in a worker placement game that this didn't work very well because worker placement games are already tight and kind of, um, you get bummed out, right? Because you want to go to a space and somebody goes there first. And then, so you go to another space and then the provost moves back and now your space doesn't get um, triggered. Also, there's asymmetric powers that come in this particular one and you have the ability to steal other people's powers. And all of this kind of felt like not necessary in a worker placement game. But I've played this game like three times now and the third game was probably the funnest I had with it. Going in, knowing it's mean, going in not having my heart set on these spaces and on these these um these uh characters that you have and i actually found myself actually liking the game um i still don't know if it's like a perfect design i did look at the changes they made to the original one and i do like the changes they took money out of it and now you're paying meeples instead of money to move the provost. And I find that a very interesting aspect of the game because you want to hold on to your meeples for worker placement spots, but you have the opportunity to also spend them to either help yourself or mess up somebody else. So I think with that, 
and the stealing other people's powers gives this game a lot of more control than it seemed like the first time around. If there's a runaway leader because they're using their special abilities to the max, you can take it away from them and, and have kind of a catch-up mechanic. Or you can try to screw somebody out of spaces so they're not running away with the game. And I, it's mean, but I had a lot of good time with it. And if you play with the right players, I think that you are as well. Uh, right. I thought it was funny that when worker placement first came out, everybody said, oh, you guys got to try these Euro games. They're low interactive. They're not mean to each other. You just kind of play your own thing and don't interfere with each other. And the first two worker placement games were Bus and Kalis. Are you kidding me? They're so bloody. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point because fun. this ha this is a Euro game that has a lot of player inter interaction. And I'm always paying attention to how many meeples everybody has and what everybody's doing because I need to know how to stop them. Yeah. Um, there's so much tension. It's so scary yeah. placing by the horse. Right. Right. Yeah. And having a lot of meeples, if you see somebody with a pile of meeples in front of them, you're like, they have too much power, man. That's, that is scary. Um, yeah. So that's Kalis 1303. Uh, quite enjoyed. I'll be playing this more. A game I played last week was Tutor. Um, I've had this game for quite a while, actually, since the Kickstarter came out. Um, but we finally got it played. Uh, I would describe that game as kind of an abstract abstract game, actually. Uh, it's got like two stages. One of them is you load some meeples at the bottom of the board, and they become actions. The second stage is you actually take those actions uh, to move around the boards and it has like a pretty significant set collection element as well as the ability to move the on the board is connected with these rings that you have. So there's a really cool component of like a hand in front of you, which is like sticking out and um, it's like a player shield, but you actually put rings on it, and the rings kind of show other players, I guess, what you can do um, in on the board, kind of. Not really, because you can do other things as well. Uh, at first, I wasn't sure how I feel about the game because it felt very like linear. Uh, the joke is because you move in like a straight line, usually upwards uh, towards the uh, the theme of the game as you're occupying like offices in the core in the court of king henry the what is it the eighth eighth, eighth yeah um so you get privileges which is what the rings are by occupying offices uh so which enable you to move around the court more easily so the first game the just the scoring conditions the game comes with different scoring conditions actually which is kind of interesting and they do significantly change the whole game um the first um in the intro game so to speak is just all about just like going to the offices as fast as possible as many times as possible because you just get rewarded for just going to those offices and all the tokens are good so i was like okay this is fine it was okay but i wanted to see how the game changes and actually we played a different scoring condition which was some tokens were actually negative so you wanted to avoid like snakes around the court and actually the offices award no points it's all about like majority and columns basically um so it completely changed the game and i think in a good way um i really liked the way the game played which was like significantly different from the first game the actions at the bottom like there were there was a combo which i feel like was better than the other combo um there's like three different rooms you can be basically but the second scoring condition kind of 
it's still still important to be in certain rooms, but I think it like completely kind of changed the valuation of actions, which is kind of very interesting in that game. Um, uh, the game is still kind of a little bit on the light side, um, even though there's kind of nothing random. Well, there actually is a lot of random. The the tokens on the board, which determine movement, are random. Um, it feels kind of like medium, I would say. Um, it goes fast, though, so it's it doesn't overstay its welcome. I think it's a pretty like snappy game. Um, I've actually enjoyed it. I want to play the other, other scoring conditions. Um, I think it was a really good game. So that's Tudor, T-U-D-O-R. Um, so I wasn't here last week. So it's been four weeks for me. And in the four weeks since we uh, last recorded, I have discovered a love for, um, I don't even know what to call it, but um, games sort of like Lords of Hellas, I would say they're war games, but they don't feel that way to me. So Lords of Hellas, Mare Nostrum, and... Um, I think Dudes on a Map is usually yeah, what they're called. Yeah, Dudes on a Map, yeah. They're not quite war games. Yeah. They're, not, they're not quite war games. And I never thought I'd be the kind of person that liked these games. Um, they're highly, highly interactive. You, uh, you're fighting with each other over every little thing. Um, and how I got into it was... Uh, one of the members of our group had brought Lords of Hellas, and I was like, eh, I like Greek mythology. I'm not really into the other game being played. I'll give it a try. And I've played this game four, five times since then, and I still have the itch to play it again. It's a really intriguing game, and I think the thing that makes it, it, makes it something I want to play is that you're you're expected to fight with the your fellow players you're expected to attack them but doing so isn't going to ruin your life you're not building up a massive army going and attacking your your opponent and then if you win you win the game and if you lose you're basically just sitting there until someone else wins the game you're in control over how many people you lose i think it's a that genre of game is a great game I, I like that it has three different like wind conditions. Mm -hmm. It has an yeah. area control aspect where you have to control a certain amount of areas and it, you could beat a certain amount of monsters or you could build up these monuments and then hold strong and, uh, and for a round, I think. It has to have a whole round once it's constructed and you have the control of the area. Yeah, it's four. I think, so that you can control five temples, have defeated three different monsters. Oh, the temples, hold that's right. Two different areas yeah. or hold a monument to one of the gods for three rounds yeah it's, i like that aspect yeah of it. and i like the theme man i like the um it's like greek mythology meets um uh-huh techno punk like, yeah 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 like zeus has got this big lightning whip thing it's yeah it's neat. like tony stark like lived in greek mythology days and constructed all these cool things yeah or tesla um, I think what makes those games kind of interesting is actually because, uh, like Brandon is saying, they have different win conditions maybe, and they're not all about attrition. I really get bored with um, games which are all about attrition. Uh, what I mean is like you don't necessarily – or you're not necessarily winning if you have the most people on the board. You might have a lot of power, but um, and some games are just like all about having the most people on the board. Uh, another game that comes to mind is Inish. Um 
you can win the game with like three people or something like two people on the map and someone can like be losing the game with 12 people on the map they just have like a lot of things going on which make them interesting other than just the area control aspect of it they usually have like the games that i like usually have like some weird action selection mechanism as well either like deck building or something or in the case of um Lords of Hell, you can't repeat action. In the case of Vinish drafting, in the case of Cry Havoc deck building, yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, and it it allows you to abandon one strategy and start another if you if yeah. you're failing. Yep, it's not like your the area control isn't working out for you, so you just have to sit there and wait out the game until you lose. You know, you could switch it up and try something else. Yep. All right, so that was some games that we've played. So up next is some games that we're looking forward to. Um, so I want to start this off by saying I'm terrible at games looking forward to, um, I kind of am on purpose because if I did a ton of research on games I wanted to buy, we wouldn't have any money. <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to on Mars. Um, I'm really excited to get a chance to play it at SaltCon. Hopefully fingers crossed. I'm assuming it's going to be one of the hot games that everyone wants to play. Um, it's a Vital Lacerda game. Um, it looks a little bit like escape plan. It's got like the hex or the, yeah, the hexes that you lay on the board. Um, I don't know much about it other than that. It's kind of one of those. You just have to tell me it's Lacerda and I'll be good. Um, and the second one I'm looking forward to is Viscounts of the West Kingdom. I think I'm like the resident Shem Philip fan on this podcast. I honestly have enjoyed every game of his I've played. I know they're not the heaviest games. I know they're not the most perfect information games, but I have really enjoyed every one of his games. Um, and I'm looking forward to his new take on the 900s France. Is that an expansion to Architects or is it a uh, new game in that series? It's a new game in the series. There okay. is an expansion to Architects coming out. I don't remember what it's uh, called. Artisans, maybe? Yep, that's the one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you could have... They're going to look nice on the shelf, right? If you have yeah. all six or yeah. nine when it's done. I don't know how many yeah. trilogies they're going to come out with. I don't know how many trilogies. Maybe it's a trilogy of trilogy. Who knows? And they're all kind of novel too. It's not like he's just beating a dead horse. Yeah, this one's got like a circle in the middle. I don't know much about it. <laughs> I've just looked at pictures. There's well, like a circle in the middle. Of course, you're playing cards, worker management. Yeah, um, I mean, these are working out very well for him. They're yeah. selling very well. So why not, if you're going to design a game, why not just like paste this these themes on, you know? Like, why not? But it never feels like he's designed the same game every time. Well, that's what like, I'm saying. Like, I never feel like I'm learning. different. Yeah, yeah that's what I'm similar. saying. If you have an idea for a game, like, who cares what the theme is? Just paste on whatever fits, Yeah, exactly. you know, the trilogy. Um, I'm looking forward to the second Teo to Walken expansion. Um, it's kind of one of the smaller expansions that I've been liking where it just comes with two different things. Like this is like a $13 expansion. Um, and all it comes with is new technologies and uh, some new starting tiles. At the beginning of the game, you can start with, you know, an amount of food and stone and wood based on uh, picking two out of four. Uh, that part, I don't even know why they include it. It's just pick whatever and go. Um, but the new technology is what I wanted the last expansion to have. Uh, the expansions all had odd numbers, and so they kind of hinted that they were going to do this, and I was disappointed they didn't do it last time. 
uh, but there is kind of no variability. There's only like eight technologies and you're choosing six every game. So it kind of forces everybody to go with whatever combo came out, you know, like if it's building the tower, everybody has to build the tower. If it's gathering resources, everybody has to gather resources. Um, my only problem is it the theme again. The last expansion was called late pre-classical period or something. And so you think that they're going to capture some historical funness of something that might have happened there or something. But no, you're just trading cacao for wood in a different way. <laughs> this one is called Shadow of Zictili, which was a volcano that erupted and surprised a city, kind of like Pompeii and Herculaneum and Mount mm -hmm. Vesuvius. This, in like around 300 AD, this erupted and like buried a whole village. Um, there's one of those cool towers, like the one you're building in the middle in Teotihuacan. That's, you know, the sticking out of uh, like a column of basalt that like covered the whole city. So there's all you see is like the point of a pyramid that's left from a city. Um, so is any of this captured in the gameplay? No, we're just converting cacao to wood again. So I don't know. They just want to sell more copies by having, it's kind of actually rough, a husband bringing food to his pregnant wife as the volcano is starting to erupt in the distance. Oh, man. <laughs> well, it's dark. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but again, the, if you're, it's promising a volcano, you're getting no volcanoes. You're getting more cocoa, more wood. <laughs> and that's Shadow of Zictili, the second expansion to Teotihuacan. All right, some games that I'm interested in is uh, one is Alma Matter from Eggert Spiel. It's the Italian designers that brought you Coimbra and most, most recently uh, Terramara. You play as a headmaster of one of the independent universities of the 15th century. It's drafting, it's hand management, tile placement, worker placement. It looks very much, if you look at pictures of it, like a spiritual uh, successor to Coimbra. And I really enjoyed Coimbra and I really en enjoy these designers. So I think Alma Matter will be a good one, at least I hope. Speaking of Eggert Spiel, the CEO formed a new publishing company called Deep Print Games, and the first release will be Renature. It's a Keesley and Kramer game that's area control with dominoes. That is the only information on it. Um, area control with dominoes sounds kind of bad to me, but Keesley and Kramer sounds good. Uh, the last one I want to talk about is called Inner Compass. It's from AEG, and lately AEG has more hits than misses for me. And in this game, it's designed by the um, the designers that did Flamme Rouge and Copenhagen. Um, you play as one of four characters searching for meaning in their everyday lives. You make the right life choices. You experience a full spectrum of emotions, create meaningful memories. It's describing itself as a board experiment in determining your personal inner compass where you focus on building up emotions to release them at certain times. Sometimes it could be healthy and productive, while other times it could be destructive and inappropriate. Um, this sounds like almost like an RPG style game, right? When you listen to the description and like a, like a lot of like social things happening, but it's labeled as an abstract strategy game that the mechanisms are grid movement and set collection. So I don't know how much the theme is going to come through, but I do want to find a game that's like the game of life, but not like the game of life, if that makes sense. And this looks like it might be it. And that's Inner Compass. All right. Uh, games looking forward to for me is actually kind of a lot of games that I am planning to play at SaltCon. SaltCon's coming up next week, and that's probably going to be my biggest opportunity to play like new games at this 
uh, a lot of new games in a very short time period, I think. Um, some games that I'm looking forward to playing there are actually games which I've seen on the shelves here previously, which I just haven't got to play. Uh, Merlin, uh, which is kind of a Stefan Feld roll and move, kind of, uh, with some, like hours uh liftoff which i was looking at um it's a kind of an engine building space exploration game um i saw it on the shelf i just can convince myself on mars of course uh, justine mentioned it the phoenix syndicate um it's a small area abstract area area majority kind of a game that i've been interested in there hasn't been a good space game that i've been interested in in the last like year and i think that's candidate for like a weird one but still might be interesting inuit the snowfolk i wanted to play that i just couldn't bring myself to buy it at the price point i think it might be too light for me but i will definitely try to play it there and rally man gt which i small pusher luck game again i just want to try it before i buy it uh, another thing um that kind of goes with the theme that we're going to talk about today well not the theme but the top list that we're going to talk about today which is uh two player games as i've wanted to play stronghold second edition and actually um it's kind of like a larger two-player game um and i haven't played too many of those and uh, there's someone finally interested in playing it uh, which is really exciting. So I'm looking forward to playing that. It's kind of a siege game, actually. One person is in a city and defending by doing work placement, and the other one is on the outside putting out waves of attackers by cube drafting, cube pulling, really, and some kind of action selection stuff. Um, some random thing that happened this week. I tentatively backed a Russian game um, called Deep State, and I had a question about it, and then I forgot I backed it, so I didn't even check like the reply to it or anything, so I backed the game, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's actually really good. Um, it has really, uh, what captured me in the game mostly was actually the art. The art is like really amazing. It has like comic book kind of art it's hard to describe but it's kind of grimy a little bit and nice um the guy belongs to a publisher who's like starting up and they want to publish like russian games in the u.s and like make them more international i think a uh, game that they previously published was space explorers i think the splendor like game yeah mm -hmm. i think it's called space explorers yeah uh it's the same publisher uh i'm not sure if it's the same designer the same designer has previously designed master of the galaxy which i've heard like really mixed things about and i didn't really want to like buy it but there's no one that owns it also nightmarium which is just like a really small cheesy game um but what they were talking about is they want to bring kind of games that are like maybe russian designed or popular even in russia like um to to the west kind of more and that's one of them uh the game itself is basically some kind of a tableau building game with cards and it's all about conspiracy theories, which is kind of hilarious. One of the um, expansion is, uh, expansion, expansions, which is huh, coming with the base game, it's like expansions, big Kickstarter exclusive expansion, which happens a lot, is Reptiloids. So it's all about these, like the first player marker is like the Masonic, like eye on top, on top of the pyramid. And like, there's all these like news stories that you can run and you're these like shadowy organizations that supposedly have like do conspiracies all over the world. Or whatever and it's got like full cheese like i don't know ufos are real kind of stuff you know just like all kinds of like weirdness in the game and i think the cards you're like playing or bidding are all these like 
conspiracies that you can like spread or I don't know, whatever. And you're you're like controlling the population is I think what what they're uh, <laughs> saying, which is like a very popular thing in Russia. Actually, I don't know if you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah we know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean like conspiracy theories. Like you know, there's like a. a there's a people in government are like part of this like secret order and they meet and like you know there's all kinds of like yeah mm -hmm. weird popular popular stuff there but yeah that's uh the games i'm looking forward to all right so then up next will be our topic of gaming meetups all right so meetup is an app um it's an app to get people face to face um, participating in their hobbies. It's actually a really cool app, you know, in, in this day and age when a lot of people are like stuck on their phones and like playing apps and video games and social media to create an app to get you away from apps is kind of cool, right? And it doesn't just have board gaming. It has a ton of stuff. You know, you can basically what this app does for you is, is if you ever move to a different state or even a different country, you almost have built-in friends depending on your hobbies. You just like fill out what hobbies you're interested in, put what, where, what area you're in, and then all of a sudden you have all these groups that meet up and do um, hiking. There's even like crocheting. There's a ton of things. We're going to focus on the board game aspect of it. But before we get into it, I thought um, it was kind of interesting how this started. Uh, it started in 2002, which I didn't realize it was that old of an app because i just started participating in it a couple of years ago. Um, it was started by Scott Hefferman and five other co-founders. The idea came from Hefferman meeting his neighbors for the first time in New York after the September 11 attacks on the Twin Towers. So I imagine he like, he, did, he I don't know how long he lived by them, but he didn't end up meeting them until a tragedy struck, right? So I imagine he was like, well, maybe we should be meeting with each other outside of tragedies you know <laughs> weird so i think this app is really good and if if you don't have it it's a free app and i would highly suggest it we have a meetup so we're very familiar with how uh the board game meetups happen not just from attending these but also running these um, if you're interested in our meetup and you're in the salt lake city area it's called experience gamers only um, I would read the description before you come. Um, and it sounds like we're being exclusive when board gaming should be inclusive. But one of the first things I want to talk about is the fact that the reason why I personally wanted to start this as experienced gamers only is because most of the meetups around here anyway, I would probably guess in general, are for everybody, which is great but what happens when you invite everybody into the board gaming world? People that play like old games like Monopoly, things we grew up on, come and it uh, and even the most simplest game could go over their head. So I wanted to start a place where people that are actual hardcore gamers have a place to go where they don't have to worry about that. I've actually thought about our meetup. I uh, we were having some discussions about like heavy games. I don't know if for me if like what we're trying to do is like about heavy games necessarily because I don't want to play heavy games all the time. I think it's about people that are like committed to games more than yeah. Other that's people. why the experienced gamers I, only and yeah. Not, I mean, in the description it says like medium to heavyweight games yeah. with some fillers and party games thrown yeah, in every yeah. once in a while. 
but 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 I think the difference is like in other meetups, people show up who like that's maybe their first game and they have like no idea, which I mean is fine. Or like they play games like haphazardly and they expect like party games or something, or you know, or just like I don't know, uh, they're just like not super committed to gaming is just like something to try once and maybe quit and or just they had nothing better to do and stuff you might you might have to cater to them too you might have to like you have a game that you guys want to play but it might be too heavy for them yeah. so you play something more simple or you say like uh majority wants to play this game just you just you're just gonna have to play this and then it's going over their head and they have no fun yeah yeah exactly so it's not it's not our group isn't an exclusive group to be like, we don't want you around. It's we don't want you around and you don't want to be around yet. Mm -hmm. Build up to it and then come to ours. Ours is like the next level. Like when you feel comfortable enough with games, join us. We're more than welcome. Some problems with Meetup and not the app itself. The app works perfectly fine is the fact that you are going to be playing with strangers that could be a good thing too. We've met awesome people that are now a part of our group because of the meetup app. There are sometimes people that come that are perfectly fine. There's absolutely nothing wrong with them, but there's personality <laughs> clashes that happen, right? Like just because my personality is different than yours doesn't make my personality uh, like better than yours. It just means that we might clash. And how do you, how do you deal with that? You know, that's kind of a conundrum of like, I want to, I want a bunch of people to come, but that's meaning that a lot of people that you might not get along with. And the strange part about it is they could be people that love the same games as you, mm -hmm. but for some reason it just doesn't work. Yeah. I think a good solution to that is actually just to have enough people to where pe people can form groups with people who they like. So there's no one forced to like play with a group of just like a vibe of people that they don't like. I think that's the, the ideal unfortunately it doesn't happen that way in, in yeah in i mean our group I'm, I'm seeing that happen there's more and more people coming there's anywhere from like eight to 12 people sometimes 15 people at our group now didn't start that way i remember Fristo and i playing two-player games on our meetup yep during the summer just nobody would show up and be like okay and we would prepare for it we'd have two-player <laughs> games on hand because it was expected and it almost makes you feel like giving up on your meetup because you're like all right, nobody's coming. Nobody cares about this. Um, but now we're up to almost 15 people. And they come in, and there's groups that just kind of ignore everyone else, not in a rude way. They just set up their games, and they start playing. And we, as kind of the hosts, will kind of wait around for everybody to show up and then start deciding. Which brings me to my second negative thing about this is the more people, the longer it takes to get games to the table, right? So how do you, what's some solutions on how you can kind of wrangle everybody into, um, into getting games to the table faster? I think it's funny. New people are often shy because they're just walking in. They don't bring their games with them. They're willing to be agreeable. And so when we ask them questions like, hey, what are your favorite games? What do you like? They like to be agreeable and say, oh, I like all kinds of games. You know, I'll play whatever. And it's 30 minutes of I'll play whatever. One of the solutions is, no, tell us what kind of games you like, <laughs> and we can start sorting into games. Or you can tell them what they're playing. If, they're, if yeah. they want to be indecisive, 
you know and i think actually that's the way to come to board game meetups for the first few times is come with no games and come open to play whatever and surprisingly we've had a lot of people do that that it just come in and say yeah i'm up for whatever be like all right then you're playing this and then afterward you can kind of get a read on if they liked it or not and kind of start gauging what they like right i do want to make sure there's that pitfall you were talking about earlier what if they're like my favorite game is king domino it blows my mind then we can before it even starts before everyone gets punished be like oh hey read the meetup description there's lots of other places around the valley that you might want to get started with you know yeah and and maybe not like kick them out that night because they drove down right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like like we could play something that maybe you'll like mm -hmm. but maybe in the future you um find something that's better fit for you right um one of the things that i've been doing lately is just pulling out a game and saying i want to play this is anyone interested and then somebody will say uh yeah i'll play that i'll be like okay we got room for one or two more you know, I think you kind of have, and everybody's trying to be polite in these situations, right? Everyone's like sitting back and like not trying to press anything most of the time. So I think, I think to be a little aggressive and not like everybody should have to play this game, pull it out and say, this is what I want to play. Does anyone else want to join me? I think it's kind of tough actually. Uh, again, un unfortunate situations happened where um, I think someone pulls out a game and like four people join and some someone pulls out the game and four people join and there's like three people left and they sometimes like don't want to play with each other or don't like the same games and they're just like stuck there. So it's like, uh, what are we going to play now? And I've seen that happen before, but, and it's really kind of an awkward situation, but I don't know what, what to do in that situation. I mean, the, the, there's unfortunately so many people in so many games and you can't have like a perfect match. There's, there is a, like you can like vote on things maybe that's an interesting idea but yeah i i don't know it's, it's tough to find it something that everyone likes and arrange the people that to play with the people that they like all the time and right in meetups i've wondered if sometimes we should take turns every week being like called matchmaker and you sort people by people first and then they <laughs> pick a game you know by people who like the same types of games generally rather than by games so you don't have those odd couples left over so it would never stick, happen because you can't just be like you you're playing here you're you're playing there people are like you're not my boss but yeah. <laughs> so put stickers, in a perfect world stickers on people remember yes. that idea <laughs> what we're talking about is uh there was the idea of uh, putting putting stickers on stickers on games uh and if they get like a certain amount of stickers they get played basically like just kind of slowly build up to like that's a way to choose games i guess so we're joking about putting stickers on people and <laughs> once you get like enough stickers you get to play with that person or something i don't know you can get a sticker like the hello my name is and then <laughs> list some games you like list some games you don't like and list some things some that you don't like in games i don't like ap i don't like you're no, joking but like. i'm coming next thursday yeah. with that sticker on my chest it's gonna have it's to gonna be, be a, a very large sticker, sticker. Yeah. it's not actually a bad idea they're gonna be like hi i'm bob and i'm like read the sticker <laughs> that's not a terrible idea though yeah we're doing it it takes some self-awareness though because like if i'm APing really bad I have to be aware of that so I know to avoid the person that doesn't like AP. Right, yeah. Yeah, or or you have to put on your sticker like, I like to eat during games. You, know, you <laughs> yeah. have to put your negative things on there yeah. as well. Yeah. I spill drinks before, just being honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, that is a big dimension too, the AP specifically, because um, it's kind of sad. Maybe people want to take time 
and I'm playing too fast, you know? Like you said, my personality isn't better or anything. Like, fast isn't necessarily better than slow. There's all kinds of different timings. People want to play fast chess, slow chess, whatever. Sometimes I might want to move fast, and people want to move slow, and they should be able to pair up with each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I will say that um, if I see somebody taking really long time every single turn and they win the game, it doesn't surprise me. But if someone's going lightning fast, they're being fast and efficient, I think that that might be the better player, you know. But that's, again, just my opinions. And I think that, yes, if you want to sit down and play um and get really deep that's a way to play that's not that's not our way to play but that doesn't mean that they're wrong you're right and i think that meetups when you go into meetups you need to recognize who you are and who you're playing with and start to try to find people that better match you and if the meetup is big enough you could find that within that day you know that night that gaming night maybe we should have like a board gaming application not like a you're in or you're out, but just Re like resumes. if you're going to come to meetups, like how long is your average play time on a game? This Which is, of these games do you like to play? Which of these games do you not like to play? What are your, you know, what mechanics do you hate? What are your pet peeves? Define indoor voice. <laughs> Everyone comes with a resume and passes them around. And let me see yours, uh, your portfolio, actually. Actually, this matches mine. All right, we could play a game together. No, actually, it's kind of funny, but some board game stores even have rules, and this one kind of doesn't. And I don't know, they're trying to be, like, inclusive, but I feel like sometimes there should be, like, rules, I don't know, about just, like, you know, I don't know, they just have rules posted. Something. Yeah, yeah, I've or, or like, before. standards, guidelines. Yeah, 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 I've thought of that before. It just seems it's, it's really hard to enforce and awkward. It is though. really it, hard it to it enforce. Makes, makes for really awkward situations, that's for sure. Yeah. And like what if what if we're playing a game that induces AP for me and I'm not following one of my own rules? Yeah. You know, yeah. and somebody's like calling me out on it. I'm like, well, there's certain all right, let me go change I, I the rule. Quit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm out of here. <laughs> well, I I know. Like there's a lot of board game stores around that have like the signs up that say like keep the language appropriate and all of that stuff. I just I don't feel comfortable in those board game stores. I mean, I don't feel like I swear a lot, but if there's like, I don't know, rules posted it. Yeah. The unfortunate thing know. is it should be common sense, but apparently it's not common sometimes. So Yeah, well if you're new into gaming and you come into a, a, a meetup, you're not gonna know the etiquette you know, mm -hmm. and, and that could be a problem or you, you're just so used to playing with your own group at home that you're not used to playing with other people. Yeah. And you're like, but this is how we play. This isn't how everyone plays, you know? Yeah. No, I was going to say there's no like right or wrong way to play games. Uh, we are like criticizing AP people, but some people do want to like spend 15 minutes per turn and think about stuff. And like that maybe they're used to that because their previous group did that or like, I don't know, that's just the way they play with their family or something. Or maybe a family like wants to be like really, uh, what is it called? Uh, when someone attacks you, um, not petty, but uh, vindictive or something. Uh, and you just like want to waste your game to just like bring someone down or something, you know, just like really yeah. like people want different experiences out of games and nothing is like right or wrong. It's just like matching people with the people that they like and the things that they like is the difficult part for me. Cause there's, I don't know if they're wrong. They're just not my preference. Yeah. Sometimes. I don't think they're wrong. I mean, they're, those type of people are fine with playing one game a night. You know, that's perfectly fine with yep. them. And they want to soak it in and they want to yeah, get yeah, deep yeah. into it yeah. and they want to enjoy it. And I, that doesn't sound wrong to me. 
it sounds wrong for us because we want to play as many games as possible. We love multiple games, and I like I like the brain puzzle of okay, I I quickly figuring out this strategy. Now I have to quickly figure out another strategy. I like that just like coming at me all you know all at, all at different directions, um, and you know if, if you're not that type, it's it's perfectly fine. There's another thing I want to talk about with board game meetups is punctuality. Um, you know, a lot of people will show up late and sometimes, you know, that's, that's life, you know, you're coming from work and, uh, you're not anticipating getting off late and all of a sudden you do, I think like 10, 15 minutes, even 20 minutes is fine. But if you show up to a meetup an hour, hour and a half late, you can't get mad about getting locked out of games. You have to be as punctual as possible. On, on, at these things and you have to understand that if you're punctual you shouldn't expect everyone else to be punctual and get upset about it if you're like the second person there and you're waiting around so there's that's where micro filler games come into play mm-hmm. that are really good for meetups i think um and i, I want to talk about this further but i think you should just have something ready to um to just play quickly and if you show up late you should just show up knowing that Let's say you're an hour and a half late and let's say everyone else was about a half hour late and it took them about a half hour to get to the table. That means that when you come an hour and a half late, you are, everyone's at the beginning of the game and you're going to have to wait an hour to two hours or leave and you have to be prepared for that, right? Yeah, I think it comes with the games that, uh, again, maybe we play. Uh, there are some meetups that cater more to that because there are games which you can walk in and out of, like I'd say Code Names or maybe even like Secret Hitler because it's like just like quicker or like party games. Actually, a yeah. lot of party games you can walk in and out. In a Euro game, you kind of there's a cadence of like the game goes on for like an hour and a half usually-ish on average. And if you show up... Um, half an hour into that hour and a half you're going to be waiting an hour there's no way or other meetups um, those party type games are a little bit more entertaining to watch so if you're sitting around and you're like i'll wait for the next game you can sit and watch and kind of have fun watching whereas like euro games everyone's going to be silent and frowning you know so yeah pushing cubes so the hardest (laughs) point is on the exact inflection point if you're coming an hour and a half late yeah you're gonna have to wait till round two and if you're coming five minutes late that's fine what if you're coming like two minutes into the rules explanation and the game can tolerate a fifth player. That's that, that's always the hardest decision. That's a good point. <laughs> two minutes, that's actually not bad. What if you're coming in like just as someone explained the rules and they have to explain it again and then your person oh, shows up. That's, that's past never, the event horizon. That's never happened before. <laughs> I, I've actually seen somebody explain a game a new person comes in, they explain, they explain it, it, again. it again, and another person comes in <laughs> they and they explain, explain it again. again. <laughs> Three <laughs> times. So you're like, a, the, for the people that were originally there, like basically experts, they've like played yeah. the game. <laughs> well, they typically walk away. At least the, our meetup and most meetups are at board gaming stores, so you can you have some, th- some time to browse and look around at things and maybe talk to other people that aren't in um, in serious games or whatever. But, but that yeah, that's a good point. Like I, I think the thing to do is to reteach the game. You know, if somebody's coming in late, I don't think you go, sorry, you already explained the game. No, actually, the funny thing is it happened yesterday at the meetup that I went to and someone explained the game over again the second time. But then someone showed up like right at the end of the second time. And we actually did say no, like, (laughs) sorry, you're too late. 
it was kind of unfortunate, but that's, I think, he was just, like, so tired of explaining the yeah. rules, like, two times. <laughs> like, I'm not going to do this crap a third time. Are you kidding if me? It's, what game was it? Do you remember? Uh, Kuloma, actually. Oh, yeah. So it had a, lo- it had a bit of rules, right? uh, I'd say, like, 15 minutes-ish. So, yeah, it's kind of a lot. Yeah, well, to repeat the third time, I think. And he was just, like, so over it, I think. So the other, uh, the other thing I wanted to talk about, the last thing, is, uh, like, what's in your bag? So, like, what what are some good suggestions to pack for for meetups in general, not just ours? One rule I never follow is I like to accommodate different player counts because we're not going to have exactly four, eight, or 12 people showing up. Are you kidding me? So you should have games that play well at three and five, and I always just bring four-player games. So I need to, like, work on it. Um, Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. I think it's also good to have a mix, at least within the group, of, like, you know, heavier games, games that are going to take a little less time to play. And I know we do, I think we do a pretty good job of that. Like Matt and I tend to bring like the heavier Euro games and Brandon, you tend to bring a heavy Euro game or two, but then also a couple filler games. So I think having a good mix of fillers and full games is a good thing too. Yeah. I was going to say maybe have like a shorter game or a party game for the end of the night or something. Uh, and also heavy games for earlier is my preference. And I like just one cause it accommodates seven players. So, you know, you tend to play with the same group all night, right? Unless two games finish at the same time. So it's, it's always fun to just one to pull two groups together at the end. So you can play with people you haven't seen in like two weeks or something. Definitely. I think, um, different times too, like, like you have a very short game for two, a very long game. Um, yeah, what's typically in my bag is, is what Justine was saying is I know who's coming for the most part and I know what type of games are coming and like, uh, like Matt and Justine, for example, have a lot of games and like a lot of games that I do. So I could trust that they're going to bring something on the heavier side that I'm going to like. So I kind of try to fill my bags with, uh, maybe a new game that I want to get to the table because that's a good time to bring it. If you know the rules, right? If you know the game very well, don't bring any games to meet up that you don't know, right? Um, but that's a good opportunity to try to get a new game played. Again, don't have your heart set on anything you're bringing. You should come thinking that you're not going to play any of your games. But um, a new game is a good one. Filler games, party games, everything that these guys said. I think that's how you should be packing your bag. I don't know if you have anything about rules, but I actually have seen people reading rules uh, in meetups before, and I think that's like really bad. Just in general with board gaming, you should read rules. Actually, either by yourself if it's at the meetup, that's fine. But like reading them out loud is just like really annoying for everyone. I think else, and it's just really counterproductive. I think you're like slower when you're reading out loud. Uh, you should read silently to yourself if you're reading rules. In, in my opinion. Or ideally at home and you know the game. Yeah, I'll occasionally bring like a rule book, but not the game because I think a meetup is a good place to actually read a rule. Like let's say um, my game's broken up and everybody's gone to go get food. I found myself reading rule books at that point or um, we're kind of waiting to get sat down. People aren't here yet. Um, I've definitely read rule books at that point, but not with the intention of like, we're going to play this game now. No, it's a good, it's a, yeah, disaster. it's a good solution to also, if you're coming late, probably come and, and read your rule book. Right. But yeah, I would say always learn the game at home. Uh, meetup is not a place to learn games with people. It's just not. And 
And I think that goes across the board for not just our meetup, I think all meetups like that is going to put a huge halt um, to to your time. Yeah. Uh, my ideal scenario at a meetup is somebody new or newer brings like a game in my top 10 and I'm just like, yeah, new person, no rules teach needed even. And oh, yeah. maybe this guy will be a new board game friend. Like that's the like goal of the meetup. That's like the promised land. Yeah. Uh, the funny thing is actually have the, the, the rules thing is not an expectation for in general board gaming. What I'm saying is I've seen a person who had it in their bio, I think on the, the meetup uh, I don't like games which have more than three rules or something like that, <laughs> which is basically party games. Yeah. And I think some people expect to come and like play party games, but that's again like um, maybe not in our meetup so much, but in other meetups actually people do come and expect the game to be so simple that kind of it doesn't even need rules explanation. You can just, can just kind of jump in and do stuff. So that's just again different people with different expectations. But and for like you're serious, like euros or even medium euros, there's like you should not read rules in the meetup like out loud. Are you kidding me? And I think it's important also to like respect the type of meetup. So just as I would be a little grumpy if someone were to show up at our experienced gamers only meetup and want to spend the whole night playing party games, I would think someone would be justified in being grumpy if I showed up at a meetup where everybody does play party games and I show up with like Lisboa and mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, right. this is what we're playing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. People are just kind of like run away. Uh, you know, that, that sticker idea is actually implemented in the, in the app. You can read people's bios, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you see people, I'll, I'll sometimes people fill them out. Yeah. Some people have, right, them right, out. right. Yeah. Um, but you can get a good idea sometimes if, if somebody's new coming into our group i'll click on them and I'll, I'll see what they've put down and if they have zero games listed and they have a bunch of other stuff on the meetup like like uh like hiking and all kinds of other things i go well maybe they're just trying out different meetups and seeing what fits for them so you get kind of an idea of of are they a serious gamer what games they like and so forth can i add one more thing about or did you have more to add Go right ahead. Um, one of the things I was thinking about is that uh, board game meetups, well, meetups in general, tend to happen not at your house. Sometimes it might happen at somebody else's house, but I know a lot of the board game meetups that happen in Salt Lake happen at stores or at cafes or at bars or at, um, I think, ones at Harmon's. Um, I think the it's really court, important. To, a, a food court. A food yeah. court, yeah. Well, I think it's really important to respect the place that you're playing. So like my comment earlier, um, there's a game store that hosts a meetup here um, weekly or biweekly, I'm not sure, but they have rules posted about making sure your language is clean. Um, they have rules posted and I think it's important to follow those rules. Um, the same thing with like, if you're gonna be sitting at a place for six, eight, 10 hours. That's a little extreme, but sometimes it happens on a Saturday. Um, maybe think about like buying something, even if it's just like a coffee or a candy bar or something like these places don't yeah, stay open a, just for us to have a meetup. Right. That's a, that, yeah. Y yes, absolutely. Uh, wherever it is, a coffee shop, a board game shop. I mean, yeah. you don't have to buy a board game. That would be nice, but yeah, at least, yeah. at least, 
a, a drink or snacks. Yeah, sure. I've definitely yeah. seen meetups, not here so much, but where people will sit there for six hours and not spend a dime at the store where it is where they're being hosted. But if if you if you support the store in other ways, like let's say you have a day that you come and you shop, exactly, and you're yeah, not you know, you're not buying anything on the day of meetups, that's fine too. Yeah, exactly. Just be mindful of supporting the place that's supporting you. Uh, we're not there in Utah, but there are places in other places where, I mean, there are some in Utah as well, which charge like a table fee, which it just hasn't happened here, luckily. But uh, there are stores where like to come in, I think you have to have a subscription or it's like $5 per day or something per table or something like that. So they've like formalized this. Um, I think in uh, down in Provo, there's a meetup where there's a, it's in a cafe and the cafe is policy is like either buy 10 worth of food or something or it's like five dollars or something like that if i remember correctly but anyway it, it exists and uh, also important to say is respect closing time that that's a good one <laughs> that is a good one don't start a long game don't start a two-hour game an hour before the place yeah. closes if your game's gonna run like 15 minutes after close ask the person don't just assume they're fine with you hanging out that's a great point but i've seen i've seen it like the venue we're at closes at 11 and people are still sitting there and still APing for 20 minutes a turn at 1030 and they're yeah. not even halfway. It's not very respectful for the employee. They have things to do that they can't do while you're there. They have to shut the door and do those things. So mm -hmm. you're, you're getting them home later and that's a bummer, man. Um, and it's, you should include breakdown time. Exactly. When thinking about to start the next game and how much time you have. I'm, I'm like, really cautious of that because I work at a board game store and I know how it is. Right. So I will, I will get more aggressive at the end of the night with, no, we're not playing that. That's, we don't have enough time. You know, let's play something under the amount of time that we have so we can set it up, break it down and get out of here before they, they close. That's a great point. Uh, it might be store policy, but the way they deal with it in other places, like they actually will like turn off the lights, which is kind of, kind of funny, <laughs> but yeah. yeah. Uh, warnings would be good, like a 15-minute warning. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, Have your stuff broken down. Oh, yeah, but for sure. That doesn't always happen at uh, board game stores. Some some board game employees are more polite than uh, than I am uh, <laughs> or others, and um, they'll just, like, kind of let you play. But that doesn't mean you should take advantage of it. Uh, anything else on this topic, guys? All right, so that was our board gaming topic of board game meetups. Next up is our top three two-player games. All right, so two-player games. Now, we decided to do two-player games only, so not like, not a four-player game that works well at two. I think that's a different list. Uh, Risto might have cheated a little bit, but that's fine. The way I made my list is I made sure not to include any abstract games just because I feel like that's another list as well. Uh, my number three is kind of cheaty on the, um, on the more players, but... Uh, it's a two-player game. I, anyway, that, uh, so I did include, I included only two-player games that aren't abstract. Uh, so I had kind of a really difficult time with this topic, maybe more than others, because there's like at least 20 games which I like just about equally that are two-player games and like 
I don't know if they're like there's one that's like a really huge standout. So my list is a little bit cheesy uh, that way. The other thing is I haven't played a lot of these like elaborate two-player games um, out there in the world. Uh, most of the games I've played are kind of like an hour or less is what I would say as far as two-player games go. Um, I went on BGG and I uh, sorted two-player games by ratings uh, over 100 votes. And actually a weird thing happens. Like the ranking is like all the games that I know. But if you sort that way uh, by rating and uh, over 100 votes and two-player only all these war games like five pages of war war games shows up as the top like uh whatever uh list and they all are very common they all have like a lot of little chits and a lot of like long, long rule books with tables and uh long play times like they begin at four hours and i've seen like up to i don't know like um 150 hours or something just like these super elaborate, huge maps, insane games. And a lot of them are two-player only, apparently. So that's like a huge category, which I haven't even like touched mm -hmm. at all. Same. Also, like LCGs came up, like Arkham Horror, the card game came up, um, a lot of like Netrunner stuff, uh, Legend of Five Rings stuff. So that's another category I haven't mm, touched. Yeah, I mean, Netrunner is definitely two players, but Arkham Horror can can play up to four. Yeah, I mean, it's there was something that popped up, which was two-player only. I can't remember um so yeah i just uh, my list is kind of limited to just the kind of shorter side games that i've played and my list might change in the future if i actually end up playing some of those like longer games um that i haven't um my list i didn't deliberately exclude abstract games but i did um i won't say on accident <laughs> because I mean, I think it's the right thing to do. I do think abstract games do feel like an entirely different thing to me than a two-player game. A two-player game to me feels very Euro-y, but it's designed for two players, whereas an abstract game feels more chessy to me. Mm -hmm. um, I have an abstract game in mine, um, but it's really asymmetrical. So I just use my gut. Like It kind of doesn't count as an abstract because it has like something else going for it. It's not just like black pieces and white pieces moving on a grid. Right. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into it. Number three. All right. So my number three is Codenames Duet. Now, the reason why I said this is kind of cheaty is because it says two or more. You can, it's a cooperative version of Codenames but it's really meant for two. It really is. Like I've played it with multiple players and it's just like, it's like discussions on, it, it just doesn't work really well at all. Yeah, I didn't even know it handled more than two people. Yeah, it, it shouldn't really. Um, but I, I played this with my wife a lot. This was like a great game to bust out. We did like Codenames. We still do. Codenames, I think is a good game. Even though, like I'm not trying to be like, um, I don't want to be a hipster and be like Codenames. Uh, everybody likes it. I like it too. And Codenames Duet um, really makes it a great cooperative two-player game and it has this timing element to it where you have to use multiple cards you know in code names you might have an opportunity to be like i just have i just have one you know i have a word for one and and that's very easy to be like to to pin it down but it forces you this game forces you to to pick multiple cards so you're you're it's feels more thinky and more nerve-wracking because this time is running out. You have a timing element where you have to get all of these before the time runs out. So um, I really enjoy it. 
I enjoyed only a two, and that's Codenames Duet by Vlada Shevatal. Vlatil, I think, but anyway. Vlatil. Vlatil. Anyway. Uh, I... My third uh, place is actually, I'd say, the Exceed fight, fighting system. Um, there, uh, it's a game where it simulates basically 2D kind of Mortal Kombat, Street Fighter type games. Uh, the funny thing is no one in this group has kind of liked it uh, or cares about it at all. Um, I really have had fun with my plays of it. I wish I could play it more. Um the game is basically a card game where it's all about like timing different things and uh, there's different fighters that you can pick which have different contents of their decks and different like strengths and weaknesses. You fight along multiple stats, you can like block, you can like charge this bar where it unleashes like a more powerful attack if you time it right. Uh, it's basically kind of like play a card and like, I don't know, uh, block it or not or just it's got everything in a fighting game that you might picture in like street fighter but in card format basically including like a movement on a 2d 2d plane or whatever the back and forth uh stage um i was thinking like there's a lot of games out there that's one that i could see myself actually playing like it's a lot of, there, there's a lot of re replayability you can explore different things different fighters have definitely kind of a different feel i used to play it with someone else i haven't played it for like a long time but um that's my number three exceed i would play this i i, I grew up playing a lot like mortal kombat and street fighter and taken taken Tekken, yeah. Tekken, yeah. Tekken. I, I really like those games, so I would, I would definitely try this. That sounds yeah. neat. No, actually, uh, is, yeah, good good reminder. Side notes, I used to play a lot of Mortal, Mortal Kombat 2, actually, with a friend of mine just, like, after school, and it kind of brings me back to those days, and yeah. it has, like, nostalgia for me. Um, we played a lot of Mortal Kombat 2, actually. It was kind of ridiculous, but, yeah, it's good times. Um, so my number three is Raptor. Um, this is a, oh, I don't even want to call it variable. It's not variable player power. It's asymmetric. asymmetric. Yeah. Thank you. It's early in the morning. It's asymmetric player powers. Um, on one side you have the scientist and on the other side you have the raptor and the scientist is trying to round up baby raptors and the raptor mama is trying to protect her baby raptors from getting round up by the scientists and the main driving factor is a deck of cards numbered i think one to seven um each nine. <laughs> one to nine okay sorry it's been a no, while okay. um each card has a like an ability that you can use but you only get to use that if your card is higher or is it lower lower the higher yeah. card does the action points. The lower yeah. card does the ability. It's and the, the ability is first, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember. So you play them simultaneously, and the person who has the lower number does the ability on the card with no action points. And the person who's higher doesn't get to use the ability, but they get to use the action points on the card. Um, it's just kind of a neat little asymmetrical game. I've never managed to win it once, but I still enjoy it. Um, that is Raptor. Raptor's a great game. I would have put this on my list had I remembered. Um, I feel like I like look at my gaming collection for these lists, and if I can't find anything, then I'll go to BGG. Eventually, you're going to hear 
every single game that's in my collection, I think, uh-huh. <laughs> because of these lists. But but Raptor's a good one. I forgot about it. Uh, my number three is Rainer Knizia's Battle Line for money. I need to specify for money because it's kind of pokery. What? And you guys gamble with this? I, not with my wife, but like... <laughs> well, that <laughs> would be... the same money. Yeah. Gambling with us. <laughs> uh, but with my friends and stuff, you need to at least put a dollar on it because of the poker element. If you're not playing for money, you can just do clowny things and try and risk and go for all kinds of straight flushes and, oh, LOL, I didn't make it. You just waste each other's time. But with money, now all the top deckies are more interesting and more forgivable and uh, more of the pressure luck aspects and some of the tactics, it really gets brought out. Yeah, you draw a card or you play a card, right? Mm-hmm. That's what you do. And you're building up poker hands on these areas and then... Um, you can gain control of the area if you have the most value. Yeah, 10, ten uh, areas in a line, and so the central ones are better because you can win by having five out of nine, I should say, not 10, or uh, three in a row. And so yeah. it's kind of chessy about like valuing the center and it's also, the edges, but you can make plays on the edges and try and like flank them. It's many different poker games being played. Mm-hmm. So do you bet on spots? Like how, how, do, you, how does, do you do the betting? $1 for who wins. Oh, just who wins the yeah, whole thing? Yeah, who just wins. Oh, I thought you would bet on individual spots. Oh, like, like really once, microify Once it. both <laughs> both cards are played on both sides, then you make a bet on that. Oh, you could. Oh, actually, now that you say that, correction, we do do points per flag and then points okay. more for winning. So yeah. it's kind of funny <laughs> you thought of that and I yeah. just had to remember it. Um, yeah, I've only played Shot and Totten, but I think it's the exact same game just with different art, right? So yeah. do you guys play with the the like power cards too? Yes, and those are ridiculous. Yeah, Some absolutely. of them are just like, this is a wild card, it can be whatever. And then the other one's like, this is any color three you want, you know? <laughs> yeah, when I played the game, I played it just straightforward because it's an option. It's a, it's a variant that you could throw in. And I thought, well, no, you'll have better information this way. It'll be a better game. But I played the other way, and I thought it would be just like too much chaos and weirdness. But it it's that type of game that needs that, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's just more fun and exciting. Right, yeah. Sorry, it's not as serious, but it's more fun that way, yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I like the power cards, actually. Otherwise, the game's a little bit too dry and, like, deterministic, and it's all about Definitely. shop-decking the right numbers Absolutely. when you need them, I think. Yeah. So. And I think it's fun without gambling, but that's just me. Yeah, me too, actually. That's a novel idea, but I can see how maybe, like, Lost Cities would actually lend itself to that kind <laughs> of behavior. Yeah. But it was just, like, all these, like, weird, like, top-decking games. And what's the non shot and totten called? Battle line. Battle line. Like gotcha. Number two. All right. My number two is a game that I like. <laughs> it's by Board and Dice, and it's called In Between. Um, I hesitated on like because um, I feel like if I play this game too much, I get really worn out on it. But I, I love the theme of it. It's basically Stranger Things, the game. Uh, this was created on a 16-hour drive to Essen when they were going to the to the convention out there. Um, and it's... So one player is playing as, like, the neighborhood people, and the other player is playing as, like, the creature. And the box is really cool. So the front of the box, it looks like um, your stereotypical, like, all-American dream house. And on the flip side, it's like that house taken over by almost the... Um, upside down like in stranger things and the cards that you have if you're playing as the neighborhood you have like kids on bikes that is very reminiscent to the show and the creature you have like 
it's all like kind of scary images and you have a circle the grid is like a circle and you're trying to take control of these places and you're and you're trying to do your own kind of thing on your card and push down on this card and there's two winning conditions but it's like this tug of war the whole time and i think i got worn out on it because i only played it with Risto, and he's just beating me every time <laughs> yeah, I, I was actually surprised you have it on your list because I thought you like hated that uh, game. After no, I just those hate. Plays. I just hate playing it with you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. That's that's what it comes down. No, to, but yeah. but even even so, like I think it's a I think it's a really fun game. I'm not good at it, but I still like it, and that's why it's on my list. Um, that's in between. Yeah, it was interesting. I like the design. It's a little bit too like I don't know. The movement was just kind of like you, me, you, me. I, it's it's a good game. Um, my number two is actually very cheaty, but I feel like it'd be like a sin almost to pick a single game in this field, which is abstract is what I'm going to say. If I had to pick a game, it's Pastali that's, or Shobu. Those are like two most recent games that I thought were really fascinating abstracts. But there's just, again, like uh, all the two-player games that I've played, there's just like so many abstracts in particular. There's like thousands of abstracts, I feel. And a lot of them are actually really good and um, really cool to play. So like picking one is like insane. I don't know if you can even do it. I feel like if you ask me next week, it's going to be like a different one. Maybe if you ask me in an hour, it's going to be a different one that I'll answer that I like. But uh, the latest one I've played um, was uh, Past Alley. Uh, it's a connection game and connect uh, route connection game. And it's toweling and it's fascinating because you score points depending on how long your route is, but you both play on the same boards and you can use each other's routes if you cleverly like reroute them. Um, and uh, it's very kind of weird back and forth. It does have the depressing kind of someone can start running away with it and the game's pretty much over, but I feel like that's a lot of abstracts, like corridors that way. At some point you realize you've lost and like you should probably quit, but it's a two-player game so you can quit. So it's fine or resign or whatever, which we've done before. Uh, Passali is like uh, fascinating to me because it's incredibly AP inducing, which is just crazy considering how the game looks it's like it looks like Lane game and you expect like eh, it's like uh, Carcassonne or something nope you can sit there for like 10 minutes like obsessing about how this is going to play out because it has like a 3d aspect to the laying as well and there's a pretty large swings that can happen in the right circumstances and it's like pretty ridiculous actually um so if I had to pick one, it's that. Shobu also pleasantly surprised me with the clever design and just really cool, hard to explain game, but really well designed, like surprisingly. I was like, holy crap, this is actually really good. Um, I agree with you. There's 12 games you could name that are cool abstracts. You can just log on to Board Game Arena and play some game you've never played before yep. that's abstract. And you're like, oh, this is great. What's it called? Hex. Yep. Oh, that was fun. Um, I think Past Tally actually will stand the test of time. I think this is actually kind of above and beyond a novel, and it crunches your brain in a really cool way. I think it's a really cool game. Yep. We should note, too, that it's two to three players, not just two players. Mm, yeah, technically three. I'd kind of recommend two, actually. Yeah. What's the other one? Shinobu? Shobu. The, Shobu. the one with the stones where there's that, four that, boards. That game was awesome. I loved yeah. it, man. And yeah. it was like... It it the first play of it like it twisted up my brain. Yeah, I was just like, "What? 
the heck, man? And like, <laughs> yeah. it's one of those abstract games where you, it, when the first time you play it and, and somebody wins, you're like, I didn't even see that, man. I did not see that. Whereas something like Yench, you could go like, I should have saw that, you know, but this one, it, it, um, it screams for multiple plays for that reason. And I think it could be played multiple times. Yeah. And, and I was very like, like it's the wooden things and the stones are cool, but I'm like, it's rocks. It looks like it's supposed to meant to look like thousand year old game, but I was like, no man, I don't care if it was paper. Like this is really cool. Yeah, no, I think that's the craziness of like a good abstract is like, it looks very like dumb and minimal and like, what, what can they do with like eight rocks and like four woods and like a grid? Like, are you kidding me? But what they did was really awesome. That's the so, genius of those games, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, that's the genius of a good abstract is like very minimal stuff, but very evocative and like awesome gameplay with like really cool twists and kind of makes your brain explode. Um. So my number two game was Lahav, the Inland Port. It's a game based on a, a Rosenberg game. It's designed by Rosenberg called Lahav. Um, this is the two-player only version of it. I haven't had a chance to play his other games like this, for example, Cave versus Cave or All Animals, Great and Small. I look forward to getting the chance to play those games. Um, I think Lahav is uh, just a wonderful two-player, easy game to pick up, quick game to play. Um, you're dealing with resources. It's resource management, building management. It's got the time track, which I think is really neat, where your buildings are on a circle, and depending on where your buildings are or how many times you can activate it. I just think it's a really cool game, and I will tell you, for how simple it is and how, I mean, it's not very pretty. There's not a lot of art. There's not a lot of theme to it. Go play it where there's like a lake with seagulls and it will take you straight to Lahav. It's really cool. Yeah, you can imagine yourself at a harbor and it beats Nushfjord for like his fishing theme. I'd rather play this Definitely. than Nushfjord any day. I uh, I would like to play more Rosenberg um of, of his two-player versions of his bigger games because I looked into Cave versus Cave and it looks like a completely different game um, just with the, like, the same theme over it. Is that how this is to the Inland Ports? Yeah, so it takes out all of the like the cardboard chits that you're dealing with and you're not flipping fish into cooked fish or whatever. Um, basically, you've got fish, bricks, and food. And you use those to draw or to build buildings. Is it like a track or do you actually have these you have tokens? A track. Yeah. That's how Cave vs. Cave was. It's like tracks. Yeah. Yeah, that's that. I, I want to try those. Uh, my number two is also by Uwe Rosenberg. Um, it's Fields of Aro. Uh, like Christo said, two player games tend to be all about war, 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 war. Uh, and this game I kind of like because it's finally something domestic, it's about flax seeds. Um, I've heard it argued that we like to make history be about like, oh, the Bronze Age happened and then the Iron Age happened and stuff. Alternatively, to be less spazzy and blood ragey, we could say that we could divide time into like the Flax Age and different agricultural steps and be less bloody and violent. Um, and this game kind of captures that. It's all about raising flax and baking bread. Yes. No, 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 that's okay. Uh, keep, keep going. I'll say something at the end. I'm drinking or, flax right you now. You go ahead. <laughs> it's yo, it's yeah, because it's way good for you. It's yeah. really easy to grow. It kind of like 
let civilization grow another step. Yeah. Really? Um, anyway, uh, I'm full of trivia about Uve today. I looked at <laughs> I looked at fields of Arlo. Actually, it's supposed to be Arlo. It's like a German thing, I think. But anyway, um, I think I read somewhere. This may or may not be true, so take it with a grain of salt. But I remember reading about it was a two-player game because they just didn't want to afford printing like more components. Like at the time, they're like publisher was like we'll just make a smaller game because they we couldn't afford printing more components and the expansion actually makes it three player which is like huh. the weirdest thing ever so the like the base game is two player the expansion makes it three because they just had the extra components needed now to like make it a three player game but it, he was saying like it could have been a four player game we just couldn't afford the components at the time or something cheesy like that that's, I remember reading something weird that's interesting it's way better at two players it kind of has the Terramara thing where you can go forward in time you if in winter you want to do a summer action you kind of sacrifice your worker for longer and it's kind of tactical and you like deny each other certain baked bread actions and certain like cut wood actions yeah and i wouldn't like the chaos of a third player <laughs> yeah. so it like worked maybe. out maybe uh, i'm really interested in playing that game actually it's on my list to have like larger two games which i've sadly not played uh list <laughs> so and that's uh fields of Arrow. Number one. All right. My number one is also a Uwe Rosenberg game. How about that? Three in a row. Um, it's 2014's Patchwork from Mayfair and Lookout. Um, Patchwork, you know, I used to consider this an abstract game, but it's definitely not. That's what I wanted to say. Okay. I think it definitely is, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're, I mean, you're making quilts, but it's... <laughs> okay. Abstract abstract game, I, I see uh, um, a shared board, and you're both you know, moving on a shared board, like almost grid style. But this is a tile laying game and it's a, like a polyomino style game, right? Like are all polyominoes abstract? I mean, yes. oh, do you think so? Oh, I don't. I think they're kind of their own category. What I mean, Maybe like a subgenre of, of, um, of abstract games. What but. I mean is like the quilt itself produces like buttons and you spend buttons to like quilt more stuff. I guess you like yeah, make, resource management. You're, you're making quilts maybe in a store that you're saying, you know, like the concept of like the quilt produces buttons out of thin air. There's like three rules really that generate a lot of emergent strategy. So I wasn't wrong in thinking that it was an abstract game, but I also don't think it's wrong to think it's not an abstract game. Okay. Um, but anyway, uh, you're moving around this pond and, in front of the pawn is pieces like polyomino style pieces and you could you could buy the three in front of it and then you're going to move that pawn to the the space that you bought it from and you're buying this with buttons and time and the time makes you move on this track uh shared track and if you're behind on the time track then you take a turn you take a turn until you're in front of your opponent and i like that and so you have to there's a decision of like if you want to buy a big piece thematically it's going to take you a lot of time to sew it in so you're going to spend a lot of time and then the other player is going to have a chance to have like kind of more turns i really like this game it was one of those games that i could play with my wife in the morning we could just bust out and play during breakfast or like we got like 20 minutes 45 minutes before a movie starts so we're going to play this it's a great game and I am undefeated. It's like the only game that I'm undefeated in. Do you play defense? I've always wanted to play defense, but I don't have the enough mental capacity to watch her board and yours and think about what she wants and kind of deny it and move the pawn in a certain way. I have a button strategy. 
that's my my thing. Or I don't care about buttons. What, I don't care. Yes, just like button like income, like get all the buttons I possibly can. Don't worry about filling up my board. Everybody's trying to fill up their board and getting those extra points from those like um, five by five grid. Like that you make, it's even I ignore harder. that. Yeah, it's not enough points, I don't think. No, no, it's not. And so I just generate buttons. I don't care about um, placing my, getting my quilt completed because it's like minus two per space at the end of the game. But I always have enough buttons and buttons are points. So like that usually wins me the game. But now I, I just spilled the beans. So we'll see if that ever <laughs> works again. Uh, but that's, that is my number one. Patchwork. Uh, Patchwork is a really great game. Uh, I'm really bad at it, but it's a great game. I played online. I mean, not online, on the app, actually. I have the app. And uh, I played on the highest difficulty, and I get trashed. The AI is really good. Um, usually, it's not even close. I think I've been within, like, two or three points of winning, but no. Hey, does it do buttons, or does it do its grid? I don't know what it does. It's really crazy. It does, like, really weird things, and then, like, it ends up with and you think you're like winning but no it ends up with like all the points in the end so it's i don't know it's a really fascinating game because actually like it's kind of hard to crack i think uh what you should be doing and in which situation and whatever um the struggle with me is like it's just as great as like jaipur and targi and like kahuna and corridor and like all these games i don't know uh, for me at least matt's like shaking his head but no uh what is greater than that is seven wonders duel apparently um that's my number one seven wonders duel uh, I really did not like Seven Wonders not duel when I played it because it felt like Sushi Go to me. Like the control wasn't there. You're like hoping for cards which may or may not appear. And like in theory you're drafting, right? So you're picking up a card, but like you haven't seen the other cards and you don't know what's coming. So it's just like you might as well be top decking like seven cards every time. I don't know. I just like uh, didn't enjoy the Seven Wonders style of gameplay, but the Seven Wonders duel is really awesome because you can see the future but only half the future of drafting and uh you can kind of plan for things to happen it creates really interesting decisions of like hate drafting as well which kind of doesn't exist so much in seven wonders or other games like really strong hate drafting because it's two player so you're like directly denying points for the other person to maybe swing the game your way uh so because of the hate drafting and seeing the future and like the excitement of card flips and just like the mixture of all kinds of engine building kind of ish resource building whatever it's a weird engine in a way and the interactions between like two players in particular is what makes that game really great in my opinion um i played with the expansion actually uh, as well now I like the expansion. I like the base game. The expansion actually makes the game even more swingy, I'd say. It has some really powerful effects that you can do. Um, so I don't know. It's it's good. It's good. It's a it's a good expansion. I don't know if I'm always want if I will always want to play with the expansion. I think the base game is also just fine. Um, it's always a great game. I'm always up for it. So Seven Wonders Duel, maybe with Pantheon expansion. Who knows? Um, I really like the uh, the playing chicken in the game. Right, like there's a good card, but you but it's not going to be revealed until somebody drafts that other card. I yep. really like that aspect of it. If everyone's like, the two players are like, I'm not going to give that card to you. I'm not going to give that card to you. Then eventually somebody has to reveal that card. Yep. And I just like the game of chicken in that game. Um, so my number one is, uh, I think 
it's still number one rated on BG. Oh no, that got taken over by Gloomhaven. It's, it's the number one two-player game. On Twilight yeah. Struggle. Twilight Struggle. Mm-hmm. Um, so this game is only two players. It's themed after the Cold War. Um, it's the USSR and um, the United States vying for control over the world, basically. So you're fighting over um, all the different continents. The main driving factor is cards. The cards are multi-use. You can use them either for the event or for action points. Um, It's uh, one of those more complicated two-player games I think Krista was talking about. You've got a big old map that's out on the table. You've got these little chits all over. and it's not short, right? It's no, no, it's not short. It can be if one of the players lets the other one run away with it. it or if the other player really quits, short. right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I think a hallmark of this game is there's analyses of games on YouTube. Like you can watch people play this game online on YouTube and talk about the strategy. Um, sort of like you would chess almost. You've got mm-hmm. people who analyze these games. Um, I would like to play it more. I don't get to. It is not a cat compatible game. If you've <laughs> played a game for three and a half hours and you stand up and your cat jumps on the board, the cat. game's lost. There's oh, no way yeah. you're going to fix it. Cat compatible. It is not <laughs> cat compatible. <laughs> um, that was really bad. So I don't get to play it very often because I don't like to lock the cats up for that long. But it's it's a really great two player game. If you're looking for something heavier and longer, I would highly recommend it. That's Twilight Struggle. Do you think that uh, Watergate might replace this for you? Just because it could get to the table more often? I think Watergate, I'll play it more often, but I don't think it's going to replace like the feeling of Twilight Struggle. Gotcha. I okay. really don't. Uh, Watergate actually was surprisingly extremely high on the list. I don't know if it's the newness effect, but it had like 560 ratings and it was like 8.1 or something, which is crazy. So I'm maybe more interested in like trying to play it because it's uh, supposedly a really good game, I guess. It's way good. I I think it's my four. It's yeah. a great game. Uh, my number one is called Entropy, and this is my abstract game. Um. It's designed kind of by nobody. It's kind of like a folk song. I think it's like, I don't even think BGG (laughs) credits it to anybody. Uh, But it's asymmetrical. Um, It's played on a seven by seven chessboard. And there's like seven different colors of discs that you pull out in a random order. Uh, The good guys that are trying to work against entropy uh, get to put it down anywhere on the board. And then the bad guy gets to troll it. He gets to move any piece that's already on the board like a rook moves in chess. Uh, The good guys are trying to make palindromes. That means sets of vertical or horizontal. That's something like, for example, white, blue, yellow, blue, white. And that's a five long palindrome. See how it's the same both ways. Mm -hmm. And that scores him five points. Um, And uh, just the other guys trying to make it as entropical as much entropy as possible uh he's just trying to make the board high ugly entropy, high, yeah you yeah. say high entropy yeah. <laughs> uh and then you switch sides do it again whoever has the most points wins um and it's 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 just a very fun game to play and it's i don't see it anywhere it's not online anywhere 
Yeah, I was gonna say I think I've looked at that game before. Is it Heil? Is it is Heil another name for it? H Y L E. Yeah, that's what I said. It's like a folk song. It goes by a bunch of different names. Yeah. I actually should say that Entropy does have a BGG designer because somebody like stole the idea and like yeah. tried to put it in a box, but it's like a thousand year old game or something. I think I looked at that game and I was trying to find a physical copy and there is one where you can find it from Europe, but I mean it's like so easy to like print and play, but there are so many it. of these games that are played on a chessboard and yeah. you can just use pawns or something like Amazons is another one. Yeah, There's like different checkers variants that are really fun to play with just pieces that you have in a chessboard and a checker set. Yeah. And that's but what we do. It's interesting, yeah. I, I'll look and into And that it was Entropy. Well. Honorable mentions. Do you have any, Brandon? I do. Um, okay. Fox and the Hound. A two-player trick-taking game. I really like how they did it. Uh, Wings of Glory. I didn't put this on, even though I really like it, um, because it it can play more than two. And I, but I haven't. Like, if you buy just like the base box for it, like it just comes with two planes and it's just for two players. Um, I think it might be actually better with like four players, like just like each controlling your own plane, like team versus team. But I've only played it as two. Um, uh, Santorini is like the same thing. Like you could play it with with um, with three or four, but I I have and I don't like it that way because you're playing like teams or one. The three player game's kind of fine, but it's way better just two player games. Um, and Undaunted Normandy, it's uh, kind of newer, so it didn't make it to the list, but it, it might because I I really enjoy it. So also, gosh, I can't think of it. You probably could help me out, Risto. It's like Jack and the Beanstalk themed. Uh, blood. No, um, blood of an Englishman. Yes, blood, blood of an, an Englishman. Englishman. Yeah, yeah, that one. Um, actually, if I would have thought it before, it probably would have made the list because that is a. I really like that asymmetric, um, like, uh, card game. It's it's really neat. But yeah, those are my honorable mentions. Uh, if I had one, it's again Race for the Galaxy. Uh, it has a specific two-player variant, which I highly prefer. Uh, to me, it's kind of a two-player game. I'll play it three or four, but it's two. I've talked about it plenty before. It's still a great game. I'd say Neuroshima Hex is also a promising system where um, it's kind of a grid game where you place pieces and they attack each other and they resolve like uh, from seven six five four three two one like numbers uh in the initiative system and an initiative initiative order and they shoot each other it's uh themed with like post-apocalyptic there's a base and you have units and they shoot in straight lines or melee attacks so they resolve in a particular way and then you put out more units and so forth it's like a war game on a tiny little hex map uh it has promise i liked it i'm not sure if all the factions are like super well balanced but it's fun to play it's almost yeah it's a, it's a very replayable game that's why and there's just a lot of like i say two-player games out there that are really good um yeah, I'm not even going to start listing them. So, again, really, really tough to decide, like, what's really best. Um, so for my honorable mentions, because I didn't think about this, I'm going to cheat a little bit and go with some abstract. Uh, Yinch and Link, spelled help. L-Y-N-G-K. Yep, Thank that's you. right. Um, I can't spell regularly. I can't spell those games. Um, they're abstract two-player games. They're very chessy, very fun I think novel mechanisms, um, I really enjoy playing them. And then two games that I've only managed to play once or twice that I really enjoy, um, 
they probably would have made my list if I had been able to play them more are Caper, a two-player card game. Uh, you're both playing burglars and you're stealing things. It's very cool. And then Familia, which is a game about uh, mobsters in New York. Very fun two-player games. I forgot about Santorini. Forget everything I said about Battle Line. Bump it down. Santorini's my number one. I can't believe I forgot about it. I love that game. It's so fun to play. And then also the rest of the Gip series, I'm sure I will like all of them. I've liked the three that I've played, so like the three I haven't, Tazar and Devon, I want to try them sometime. It's so hard to get two players to the shelf. When all you're doing is meetups, yeah. it's hard to play two-player games. I'm sure that Tazar would be awesome, and I just haven't played it. So all those, I can't really talk about them because I haven't played them, but I'm sure I would like them. Right, right. All right, well, that's our show. Uh, thanks for listening. Hey, if you listen this long, maybe you like the show. You should leave a review on the platform that you're listening to. Uh, we'd like to thank Lindsay Hobbs for composing the theme that you're hearing right now and Kirsten Adams for designing the logo. You can find Kirsten Adams' work on Instagram at catcoffee. That's K-A-T-C-O-F-F-E-E. You can email us at cardsandcubes at gmail.com cardsandcubespodcast at gmail.com or you can visit our website at cardsandcubes.com also you could visit us on our social media pages which is just cards and cubes and we'd like to thank Demolition Games for hosting us Uh, they're located in Salt Lake City so if you're in the area we highly suggest you come down and don't forget we're going to be at SaltCon on Saturday at 10am in Twilight 4 thanks for listening and we will see everyone next time (laughs) 